Uh, welcome back to another episode. I'm your host, Vincent Green, and Noel John is MIA, unfortunately. We still got Carmack in the back, and this is MDK Presents, the Waterford Film Festival. And, more, um, and Stephen, uh, you're here on behalf of the Waterford Film Festival. Can you tell the folks who you are, what you do, and why you've come here? Sure, yeah. And uh, thanks for having me. And my name is Stephen Byrne. I'm the festival director and founder of the Waterford Film Festival. The festival was established in 2007, and we um, basically run several competitions uh, for national and international filmmakers, writers and photographers. And uh, we just recently finished our 15th annual event last weekend. And how long have you been with the festival, Stephen? I'm the founder of it, so since 2007, um, I established it then. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. So um, what, made you, what made you decide that you wanted to establish a film festival down in Waterford? Well, I have a background in film production as a producer. I started out basically making short drama films primarily. And I was working on several projects at around 2005 and 2006. And I just basically noticed that my um, home city didn't have a, an international film festival. And um, yeah, I just started researching into it and researching how to establish one putting a business plan together and they started approaching the likes of the Water Chamber of Commerce and then they led me gave me a few leads and uh, meetings were set up in Fulcher Ireland and the arts office, the local arts office in Waterford City and the County Council and kind of got the ball rolling there it is. You're like you're like I, I pushed a gigantic boulder up a hill. Yeah. So many like, steps to it, isn't there? Yeah, I started looking into it in September 2006, or around there, or around about. And um, I had my first meeting about the whole thing in January 2007, and then I officially launched to open for submissions in April 2007. In April 2007, yeah. And um, uh, when you, uh, like, have you changed your process much? since you began um, uh, to now, like you're 15 years on, you're obviously mm -hmm. like a seasoned vet in the, in the festival world now, you know what I mean? The Waterford Film Festival is known nationally and internationally, it's known all around the world. So like, what have you changed in your process from like when it came to the very first festival, when it came to submissions, the amount of people that came in and stuff and the categories and what have you changed and have you brought extra people on to review different things and stuff and how has the process evolved over time? Yeah, it has changed a lot over time, to be honest with you. Um, we started out as being a bit of everything. Like, we did feature documentaries for the first four years. We did feature films for the first four years. We had different categories and um, uh, in, in a lot of different areas of, of film in general. Like, But basically, uh, we started just one year before the crash, uh, the economic crash. So we had a really good start and then yeah. boom. And then over time, within two or three year period, uh, finance was dropping, dropping, dropping. As you know, the arts always gets cut. That's one of the first things yeah. to cut it in pretty much everywhere. So we had a choice to make. And one, one of the choices was um, to scale back for a bit. So we had we dropped several of the categories and focused more on the shorts because they were always more popular amongst yeah. uh, the, the general uh, supporters of the festival, but also the filmmakers out there are always making short films. So 
we focused on that element and we kind of restructured and rebuilt. Um, yeah, it, uh, our team has changed over the years, but there's been um, a solid um, several members for, for a good um, six or seven years now. The, the, the same several people that um, have that um, on a fairly voluntary basis. And um, we have guest judges that come on board for the, helping pick our winners over the years. But um, we we uh, we do a lot um, in our spare times and uh, just keep ticking away. I, I'm the main focus of the world, so this is kind of like my kind of job for me. And I'm a freelancer as well in film production, so it's kind of like half and half of my time divided up. And uh, yeah, it's just been a passion of mine to keep it going and determined to keep it going in some shape or form. Do you think um, with the kind of like the advent of the YouTube kind of generation and a lot of people digest their um, uh, content in short snippets, two, three, maybe 14, 15 minute videos, do you think now the fact that you've evolved away from maybe feature length documentaries and feature length independent movies towards a more of a stint towards short movies, that that will actually suit you going forward because people now are more used to uh, like consuming content in like 12 minute bursts or five minute bursts or two minute bursts because of YouTube and the like? Yeah, definitely. Overall, uh, like with um, with the advancement of, of, as you said, with YouTube's and uh, technology and uh, people shooting things on their phone and all the rest of it, there is that element where the shorts are actually getting just more and more popular with, with people in general. Yeah. And um, you know, it's it's kind of funny to have how, how times have changed. You know, like like when I first started out back in the early nineties, um. You know, there was always a lot of short films out there, but there's just way more now. There's just like, yeah. there's, you know, there's a lot, a lot more opportunity for young people to uh, get out there. Because when I started out, you either had mainly two choices. Uh, and you might have, if you were really lucky, you would raise enough money for Super 16 film. If you were really, really lucky, you had money for 35 millimeter film. Or your alternative was digital beta. They were kind of like the main platform forms that uh, you bounced around with you know yeah now there's everything there's there's high def cameras there's cameras on your phone that are (laughs) really good high resolution that give people those options to make make their little stories didn't Steve Soderbergh uh, uh, film an entire movie Unsane on his iPhone yeah. or something? Yeah, yeah. You know, you know, so it, show, it shows you like that, like the technology is so advanced that like even someone like a uh, feature-length film director like uh, Steve Soderbergh can lean on his phone and make a feature-length movie. Like, so it's really out there and it kind of opens up the whole world to, you know, small filmmakers, you know, as well. It does, you know, and that's, you know, it gives those people a chance to even get their stories, you know, made and and, um, they, they, uh, you know, they don't have to wait around for a load of finance all the time, like, you know, so there are, you know, there's pros and cons to all elements of it, but that's definitely a pro. Uh, So, like, what's the con is, like... A lot of bad films. <laughs> oh, not necessarily. No, no. no, I wouldn't go that far now. But no, no, no. We, we got a couple of films that we screened uh, this year that were shot entirely on, on iPhones and were very, very impressive. Especially um, the higher end iPhones are like ridiculous quality, aren't they? Like, yeah, they some are. of them are like a thousand quid or something. Like, like you know, it's every bit as good as a digital camera. That's that's what I've seen in in, in, in several examples in, in recent years, and um, that the quality has been excellent. So it's 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 good to see. 
It, one thing I like as well is like when you have it like a, a, a format, like a short, and the budget's often quite low. That the mm. directors uh, use a lot of, um, they're kind of become very innovative, like uh, the movie Mero about the the mermaid and the girl sitting oh, on yes, the floor. Oh, yes, yes. It was lovely shot there. Yeah, I absolutely love that. Like, and I just thought, like, because there's it's so low budget but it looks so good and that like it, like if you were to shoot that maybe 10 20 years ago if you don't have that kind of camera quality like mm -hmm. you know what i mean at that budget you're not like because now as you said you can have a phone that you already use that you already own it's not like you have to factor that into the film budget like you're like okay if my phone's good enough you know what i mean like you can just I like put everything into the story you know that's true, and and there's you know there's new ways to make your productions a bit more give them a bit more production value. Like when I was starting out, if you wanted aerial and high aerial shots, you would have to get like a, a Jimmy the Jib huge crane thing, uh, and hook your camera to it, or get a helicopter. You know, and the fact that you're in all these half an hour a helicopter was like three grand alone. Now you could probably hire somebody. Something like that for way less and you get those beautiful uh, aerial spectacular shots to give your film that extra bit of production value for a lot less you know so that's another example of how technology has helped filmmakers just uh, increase their overall production values of their films and um uh, something we talked a little bit about before we start recording was uh, this year you said you had a big year for animation and hmm. um uh, and i'm 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 a big animated not like i've i grew up with disney and pixar you know and like literally the kind of creme de la creme of animation you can kind of see that pixar vibe in a few things like a, a fine detonation we spoke a little bit that's about what we thought definitely yeah yeah and, um and i had that and uh my my favorite one of my favorites was memento mori and i thought like had a real um edgar Allan poe kind of feel to it like, oh, yeah, like, so there was actually our runner-up uh, for best short yeah. film this year so uh, it was uh, very well done we were delighted to have it and uh, to be able to give it our second prize and um uh, and what other kind of like when do you know when you're looking at shorts and when you're looking at like live action do you like when you're doing awards do you like literally put them side by side on like where the oscars would be like no, they'd have separate categories for best short uh, animated, mm -hmm. uh, best short live action, or do you kind of just look at the merits and less of the instead of the format itself? It's kind of a little bit of both, to be honest with you. You know, we have we would have a system where we'd try and narrow it down and would uh, have these films side by side before we make these final decisions. We'd watch these films side by side again, you know, so we'll yeah. go given film A say 9 out of 10 and film B 9 out of 10 and they're very close together we rewatch them and try and narrow it down that way as well well and you would look at like uh, uh, if this, they're completely divergent thematically would you look at like how they hit their beats in each story yeah you know, to a certain kind of degree and we take in a, a variety of different accounts you know like um, we, we understand that some are fully some professional and have bigger budgets, others have uh, less budget and their debuts or students. So we would take the into account of that and those elements and but and then focus on the lower budget ones, we might focus more on the, the writing and the acting and the overall direction and um, not so much the production values. And then professional ones we would kind of take all elements put more in because they're the ones that have that extra money and more experience. So and, uh, 
It's a tough, it's a tough process, but we, we, we do our best anyway. Yeah, yeah it's, it, that's the thing. Like, it's like sometimes production value, you kind of have to leave that aside and just kind yeah, of focus exactly. just on the story itself because the story like, and the writing, the quality of the writing and the quality yeah. of, of, and of the direction and acting as well. Like, you kind of do your best to bring it down and just. You can only bake a cake with the ingredients you have, kind of thing, isn't it? Like exactly, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And some cake big factor in that, in that particular example. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And um, when you like look over the the slate of movies, like did any of them in particular kind of jump out to you? Aside from like there might be like the big award winners, but aside from the award winners, was there any kind of like honorable mentions that kind of jumped out to you? Well, the honorable mentions was uh, uh, a. a a, a Greek film, one of the most Greek films, and it was uh, basically narrated. Yeah, just like yeah, yeah, that's the one. And it was basically about the the director was narrating um, a story of his father's life and how he met his mother, how his family came to face, and the, the father's early years struggling through poverty and uh, uh, during Nazi occupation. And it was a beautiful film. Um, it was a stunningly Josh and um, it was a lovely story and um, fantastic original soundtrack. So there's a lot of things that uh, tick the boxes for, for us here and anyone on that one. And uh, Tommy Divorce Home was an honorable mention and that was a, a great story about um, an actor, an Irish actor who lives in uh, New York and it's primarily his relationship about his mother and his family, but also his uh, relationship with uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Is they, that was a they hung out together in the early 90s. They lived together in the apartment. <laughs> There's some kind of tells in this time. Fights. Yeah, but yeah. it was very well done. used with live action as well as uh, animation to try and tell the story and those early years as an actor. So it was very creative. And, yeah. uh, I, I love that about it where a few movies you're kind of like, oh, what's this? And it was like, and it just sneaks up on you, kind of like um, when I was watching the one about you know the post office uh, robbery. A post office, yeah, yeah, that was a very yeah, Irish like, What's uh, this? Comedy. <laughs> yeah. Very enjoyable. Guys, we got yeah. bigger two laughs. Yeah, and I was like, uh, why is she wearing a plastic bag on her face? Going to rob the post office, yeah, granny yeah. robbing post office. Like, where, you know. Some idea. Yeah, that's what, yeah I, I love that. Like, cause like, cause you're like, you could be eight or nine movies into the slate, and you're like, you're kind of getting a little tired, and you're like, what? and you see a couple of things, and you're just like, what is this? And, like, it'd be just a guy talking, and then all of a sudden the guy's like, oh, I had a gambling addiction, and then he was like, oh, I robbed post uh, on post for one point seven million, and you're like, <laughs> now do you have me? You know, <clears throat> and you just sit forward, and it's just kind of the thing. Like, one thing I loved about the shorts where you can't constantly have movies to just sneak up in you, you know. Yeah, and um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think I was like uh, on the second or third day, I, I got up and I was pretty tired, and I was like, I was like, um, I threw on, I think it was program seven or eight, and uh, on the Iron Shelf came on, and oh, um, the sci-fi, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. sci-fi, yeah, 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 and I was yeah. like, it's such a good, clever way if you've got twenty minutes and you want to tell this kind of little story, but like you have so many little moving parts going on there. Where it's like you, you tell your mythos in a little quick screen scroll at, at the start, mm -hmm. and like uh, you know they've been doing it for ages. You know, back in the sixties and seventies, sci-fi movies are like, okay, if we've got a lot of lore to tell, 
we're going to do a quick screen, a screen scroll at the start. That's going to save us like a couple of million in the budget, you know. <laughs> and, 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 and just like you kind of get stuck into the story. And I love that where it was just a fight sequence for pretty much 20 minutes. And it was really, really cool. And it just Very kind of impressive. Like, I was yeah. like quite taken back. You don't usually get that amount of uh, fighting choreography going on in short films. Uh, like we get other choreography, like kind of dance films and art house films and stuff like that. But the fighting, you know, pretty cool action sequences. And it was impressive for a short film. Yeah, and even the whole aesthetics of the movie, like uh, everything was like, you know, it looked otherworldly. I know it was supposed yeah. to be set on like a, a moon off the court, uh, off the... Oh, uh, oh, I was just on the orbit of Jupiter or something, or Saturn or something, wasn't it? Something like um, that, yeah. It had all these yeah. red colors and yeah, yeah, ants colors, yeah, yeah, yeah. It kind of, it was very the kind of Lovecraftian how it looked, you know, like <laughs> a lot of space or something, you know. And just that that early in the day, that the second or third day caught my attention. It kind of amped me up for the rest of the day. And I, I just loved that was the one of my best uh, or one of my favorite things about when you have. So, such a variety every now and again when you're getting just a little bit tired and you get a movie that sneaks up and, you, and it, gets, you know, it lifts you back up again for the rest <laughs> of it, you know, that kind of way, like, you true, know. true, yeah. But it was, there was over, I think, um, 25 hours of short films in total, so there, that's a lot, mm. four days. <laughs> <laughs> I said challenge accepted and I did not bow from that challenge. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so, Stephen, so when, like, over the next couple of years, do you see uh, the Waterford Film Festival staying online? Because I know you, uh, I think it was one of your posts I read from your Facebook page that you said that the, the place where you used to host it is kind of um that's closed down now so mm-hmm. do, you, do you see your future remaining online you're going to go back into a physical space or what way do you think the next year we're definitely going to be doing a bit of both uh, we're going to go back to physical but it won't be as what we used to be i don't think um but we will be doing some form of physical um we are we we have uh, some space uh, books with the audience in uh, Waterford for next year. There's some confirmations to be done early next year on that, but um, we will hope to do something like that and also have a, a um, an awards presentation as well. We're aiming for the House of Waterford Crystal, the early days in that, but that's what we're for, and an online version. So kind of like yeah. a, a bit of a cross of a bit of a mix, and I think it will be like that for us and maybe several others for, for in Ireland anyway for several years to come onto things that are a bit more calmer. Do you, do you think it's going to be a long time, like long term? Uh, I, I think so. I, I think it will be a, at least a medium time, you know? Yeah. You know, I think at least a, a three-year period of readjustment and um, and we'll just have to see, but we're playing it by year by year at the moment, yeah. you know? And obviously depends on funding and financing because you know doing both is a lot um it's a lot of resources and, and there's you know various costs involved and so forth but um, i think either way um yeah it will be a bit of both we'll probably have maybe a day or two of a physical festival sort of scenario and, and maybe days online or something like that i can't give you exact days or, or anything like yeah. that we just rocked pretty much uh, <laughs> you know we could yeah. but um yeah there would be a mix but our, our objective would be to have some form of physical again definitely we, we kind of miss our audience we miss meeting the, the filmmakers and hanging out with them that's part of what we've been about where we uh 
mingle with the filmmakers. We have coffee with them afterwards or drinks or, you know, and we do our best to uh, 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 network with them and, you know, introduce a car from them. Um, so if we can do that even one full day or two full days uh, next year with an online thing, we would be very happy after. Go, go half and half. Half and half, basically, yeah. Yeah, we'll yeah. be happy with that and to ease back into it. And, you know, times have changed with everything with COVID and all that. So we have to adjust and uh, restructure. Do you, do you think that, like, due to lockdown and people kind of, like, being um, having to be more insular, that they might have actually had more filmmakers that might have had one eye on feature-length documentaries or feature-length movies decided that they're actually going to throw their hat in, like, make a short because oh, you can do this much smaller crew and the cast and stuff, you know? Definitely. The one thing we, we saw a big increase in, in was little documentaries. Um, documentaries that were stories of kind of like video diaries of what people, how they coped with COVID. And some of them were done kind of um, art house Some of them were very narrative in their voiceover and telling their story and that sort of like thing. imprints. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, we had, uh, I don't, there were several movies that were very monologue based as well. So you just need one actor or actress and uh, maybe a small crew, you know, very small types of crew and some things like that. So an increase in those sort of stories as well. And uh, from my uh, kind of review of everything and, uh, and seeing what, what filmmakers have been sending me and, uh, and emails and discussions and whatnot, some filmmakers kind of took a break last year from live action and got into animation, you know, for an example. So yeah. animation documentaries and one person, one camera sort of stuff was on the increase in our during our submission period for the past two seasons. In in the uh, in the submission process, did you see more of an uptake in like found footage and stuff like this, or it was a bit of that as well, and experimental. And uh, uh, we saw documentaries uh, where people were um, interviewing other individual artists or finding out what people might have how they changed their lives or their, you know learning a new skill or a new. Uh, delving into art or learning how to play guitar, you know, you know little, little pieces like that, or poetry pieces, um, and dance yeah. pieces. Yeah, uh, one movie that really jumped out to me was uh, Holy Man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the uh, Fly in the Wall documentary of a male. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, very amusing. Brilliant. Yeah. That was hey, a student film one. as well, I believe, yeah, off the top yeah, of my head. That, that was a good one. Up in uh, the Holy Lands or something, isn't it? In um, Belfast. In, in Northern Ireland, yeah, 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 yeah. That was it, yeah. It was, uh, you know, little things like that as well, you know. <laughs> Small cast, but it was, it was amusing. It was a nice, nice bit of writing there. Yeah, it was really, really funny. And that's another one that kind of snuck up on me as well, you know. like It's just like, you're not expect like, that is literally, that is a really high-level quality, like, uh, in terms of com- comedy, you know. It hits its beats the whole way through. You're like, at the start, you're like, what, what's this movie about? It's like, I can't make my rent. And he checks his balance. And he's like, oh, a 1,500, a minus 1,500 or something he needs. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't too trying to hear myself. Yeah, it kicks off. I was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's just, it's just really, really well done. It's like, and I just love, like, when, like, uh, something we speak about a lot in the podcast is like waste of resources when we're talking about movies and like when you have 
like a 15 minute or 20 minute runtime you can't waste any of your resources if you really want to hit those beats and like something like holy man really jumped out to me because straight away it's like it, it set the tone with the like the the um the style of the fonts and stuff flashing across the screen so it gives you kind of like a caperish type feel like you know like a snatch or something so you know something's going to go on and then it's like straight away you're like okay and it sets the beats and then it's like it kind of just escalates immediately because you kind of have to take out the the character development a little bit in the short so you're just like yeah. how are you going to escalate it so you have to escalate it in the right way because if you do a slow burn sometimes you find yourself running out of time near the end and the kind of the end can be a little bit anticlimactic and i just thought with that like it's like okay we know where we gotta go so just like set the problem and then there's like set solution where it's just like complete es escalation of the situation and it's just like it's it, like you know when you have 20 minutes i just thought it was like, absolutely hilarious that like straight away his first thing to do is like i want to be a, an escort or just driving around you know what i mean it's just like <laughs> how is that the first thing you think you know what i mean and because you have a short it's it's brilliant because they jump straight to the the last thing you normally think about you know what i mean you just kind of yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, just gonna jump straight into the action, you know. Oh, yeah, no, it is. You get little nuggets like that once in a while, and it's great to see, like you know. And um, you know, obviously they just uh, stepping out of their comfort zone a bit, and they actually got together and got a film made. And that's what what's about. You have to get out there and experiment and try new and different things, and and it's a, it's just a good thing to focus on. And I like um, the way the Mark with the Banshee as well. We were big horror fans over here. We've got a horror show and the Mark with the Banshee, nice. uh, uh, it showed a bit of um, uh, ambition because it kind of left it open for a sequel. You know, yeah, like, well, it was yeah. actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it was fairly self contained, but it just left a little nugget towards the end, uh, kind of being dragged yeah. away. And uh, yeah, no, it was surprising me because, like, uh, you know, it wasn't American production, but it's Irish folklore. It's kind of an interesting little crossover. But... Uh, they brought over to the States and uh, fair play to them. Yeah, it was, uh, there were some definite solid creepy moments in that, anyway. And uh, do you normally see a lot of horror submissions? Because that's one genre that lends itself to a low budget, you know, better than most. Yeah, I, we, not tons and tons now, to be honest with you. But yeah, yeah. I suppose we would see maybe about 15% would be that genre, give or take. So, uh, what would you see more than anything? Documentaries would it be because uh, of the drama, drama, drama would be always up there, um, definitely. And um, serious drama and real, real life sort of situations or things that we we see things that have kind of affected people, uh, you know, kind of real life situations, say, like, um, that might be it in is, the moments. Well, stuff like that, you know, we've seen films over the years of um, young people struggling in rural areas, not having much opportunity for the future. That would be one sort of theme that might pop up. Another theme would be uh, about the, the, the housing crisis, you know, stories of homeless people, stories of domestic abuse, you know, sexual abuse, um, stories of poverty, you know, so there's, there's kind of drama will be kind of a major harm of, you know, of it of our submission but also like a lot of uplifting stuff as well like we get a lot of stories of um coming of age and childhood and things like of that nature and then i suppose our second biggest one would be kind of thriller dash comedy and comedy would be a big one as well and then documentaries and, and that would be kind oh, of the wake was a good comedy what's that uh the wake 
The Wake was brilliant, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, it was written by Jonathan Hughes. The first movie. He, his, that, he, that screenplay was um, part of our screenplay competition for the 10th uh, Water Film Festival and actually won that year, uh, the, the, right. the screenwriting competition. So it was great to see it kind of come full circle uh, five years later, you know, it actually got made and produced. And, and, Does that uh, happen we, often? Um, it doesn't happen too often, but, you know, we do, like over, we started the screenwriting competition in year two, so in 2008. And um, we probably, uh, since 2008, um, between films that were, between the scripts that were finalists and, and or won or runners up, we've probably seen maybe about 14 or 50 of, 15 of them that uh, actually got made came full circle and were, were screened at the festival. So it's kind of cool to see that they actually, yeah, actually got made. It shows, it shows you how hard it is to make it from the concept process, doesn't it, all the way through to fruition, you know? Like, yeah, sometimes you just don't get the funding where you don't see, you just can't get there, yeah, but so it is, yeah, it's, it's a long process, as you know, uh, The Wake, obviously, from the time it was written and that sent to us and won at uh, the 10th Watch Film Festival, it took up to the, the 15th for it to be fully made and then out on the market, you know, so... <laughs> long, that's crazy long time. Yeah, that's dedication years. for you you know yeah, yeah. And, and five years like it's probably short in terms of how long it takes most movies to get from screenplay to to screen you know yeah but the, what about the whole different ball, ballpark when you're an independent filmmaker and and Jonathan uh, he was mainly a writer at that stage as well so uh, only in recent years he started getting into getting into the kind of directing sort of element it was directed by somebody else the wake now but he he said he started to do uh other little kind of three four minute comedy shorts uh, and um, we actually screened another one of his and the room as well and oh. this year that was uh one of his direct one of the films he wrote and directed um that, so yeah that's, so that's kind of cool that's the woman about the actor at the audition is it In that's the, the one yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that was really good. Like he, yeah, he said he made that during the the lockdown or something. I, I seen it on Facebook. I think so. Yeah, that's 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 what I believe anyway. Yeah, from what I yeah, seen. It's like the corner of his apartment or something, which kind of shows. Yeah, like, I think you know, so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was like, a it very amazing little piece. Like, yeah, <laughs> I think it was only like four minutes. Yeah, it just doesn't show like if you have like uh like just the the, uh, the right idea, you don't really need like a big budget anymore. You can just like position your camera slightly to the right. You know what I mean? Yeah, if you have a strong enough writing, you know, yeah, uh, and good characters, you you can make it work. Like, oh, that comes to those little nugget little comedies. Yeah, is he one of the filmmakers that kind of jumps out to you the most over the past few years? Because he went from screenwriting, now you can kind of see he's kind of getting more established and he's he's not only getting established, but he's trying different styles and stuff, you know, like almost monologue-ish, you know, in the room was, you know? Definitely, yeah. I see he's one to look out for the future. He's a very talented uh, yeah, young man and I, I would expect we'll see a lot more of him in, uh, in the coming years. And um, is like when is there any more movies? Do you think like internationally, like you've seen a, a larger 
um, interest internationally for your festival and do you see like uh, any movies that kind of didn't maybe make it this year or uh, that you might consider for next year or kind of thing like that or is that a thing that you do where maybe someone can go away refine their film maybe edit it and kind of sharpen it up in places that often happen or i won't name any names in that regard but yeah, yeah there's definitely there's definitely some films that if they were a little bit tighter and the running time and pace was a little bit stronger that if they were submitted again in the future they would probably set a better chance of getting in and uh, you know sometimes it's it, it's there's loads of different reasons but um you got to keep an eye on your duration as well and some films just needed a little bit more tighter edit in, in that regard and uh there's films that we saw we screened this year and on the international market and um, we seem to be breaking a lot more into asia as well in recent years we've uh, gotten submissions from uh, china and korea and, uh, and um, japan and uh, vietnam uh, so we've kind of break, we've broken into that market a little bit. So we're hoping that will continue and we'll develop more because there's a lot of great stories that we've gotten from that part of the world as well. And we're seeing increases in areas in Australia and New Zealand. And um, this year we saw a decent amount more from Central America and South America that we had um, some screenplays that came in from Central America, and one of them was a finalist this, or semi-finalist this year. And we had several films from, um, I think, uh, Brazil. So um, those are sort of areas that we're, we're starting to see a bit more of every year. Um, uh, so for a long time, we've been mainly, for many years, we've mainly worked kind of uh, in Europe and uh, the UK and the United States and Canada. That was kind of like our, our main market. But now we're breaking into all these other places all across the world, which is really, really great to see. And do you think because like um, something we kind of touched on earlier, people being on YouTube more, and if you have something like a Netflix or these streaming services to kind of incorporate more foreign language shows into their kind of their slates, that people are now are becoming more open-minded to looking at foreign language content in a way they weren't before. And maybe that's why you see these kind of foreign language movies coming more towards Western markets or English speaking markets. Yeah, I think so because there's a lot of really good stories out there. That's the thing. Like, you know, like, like even if you look at more mainstream with Netflix, yeah, that you know, you have Squid Game, which is you know international phenomenon and it's you know broken records for streaming and all the rest of it. So, um, I think that when you have something like that just taken off, you'll see more and more of that content as the years go on. You know, and more and more people getting into that sort of um, those sort of stories and. There's a, there is a market for it already. You know, it is kind of like a hard trigger sort of situation. And um, that sort of quality, that keeps coming. More and more people are going to get into it and we'll try and make those sort of yeah. films, TV shows. And especially when you have like such a, a long lasting lineage in like K horror and J horror and both exactly. like with anime and manga and Japan and stuff, or the, the fan bases are there, they're huge and they're fervent. They're huge and they're just getting bigger and bigger and more and more people. See getting into it, especially with the access with the uh, you know the internet and things getting better and better over the years like you know the, the sort of thing you, you, you know you wouldn't see 10 years ago you know mm. and um since the uh, speeds of broadband and connections have gotten a lot, a lot better you know you, this sort of entertainment can be provided on the internet people more and more people are watching on online rather than their, their normal tvs where they might project 
something off a website onto your TV. But you know what I mean? Like the internet and streaming services are just huge and getting bigger and bigger. So. And, and you also have like people that grew up watching anime and manga as kids, and they're getting older now, so they're yeah. they're kind of uh, the t- their taste for content leans towards that kind of in a sense. So you kind of have like stuff like you know, um, uh, like uh, Squid Game as you mentioned, and Full Metal Alchemist and stuff like that, like where they're kind of hitting the more mainstream because the people that are coming up are like they. It's not even that they expect that, but they're more appreciative of that kind of style. So you kind of see more Westerners or more English-speaking people watching more um, Asian content and stuff like that because, like, even Train to Busan, that was something recently, like, you know, from uh, South Korea, and that was huge. Yeah, and it just, excellent film, I love it. <laughs> yeah, it, it's just all of action, isn't it? It's just incredible. Yeah, right? it's just, keeps yeah. your heart going. It's just non-stop. Yeah. You know? and, and, and I, wasn't, I went into it not expecting much, you know, at, at first, then I just felt, whoa, got hooked on it, like, we always take, talk about the magic of lowered expectations. Like, yeah. Because like, sometimes like a movie could be amazing, but if it doesn't meet your expectations, you come out disappointed. But like if a movie like could be really good, but if you thought you had no expectations, you'll see, oh my God, like, you know what I mean? And that's what Train to Busan was with me, even though like I heard good things about it, I had no idea what I was in for as soon as I started watching it. And it's like, as soon as he gets on that train, it's just nonstop action. Nonstop. Oh, yeah. And you see, like, you know, with me, uh, um, you know, I find it hard to find a good, you know, zombie movies can be a hit and miss for me personally. So, like, that was, so I went into it with a lower expectation because of, I've seen some bad, hard zombie movies over the years. And um, that was just, like, just truly right off guard. It's really impressive and very enjoyable. It's like, uh, that's a sense of like, kind of like when a subgenre or a genre becomes saturated in one specific style, that you, the ones that you really enjoy are the ones that try something new and they're the only ones that really jump out to you. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, it was a bit different than the usual that you see, you know, um, um, especially from the Western ones. So, um, yeah, they kind of, the whole, it was just, yeah, it was different. Yeah, you don't think that when the majority of one film is on one sort of, area like a train or a train station and that it's going to keep getting entertained but they managed to put it off you know yeah, no, I, I, it kind of harkens back to something like an alien or a space odyssey. It's like you have that sense of claustrophobia or something, isn't it? Where you can kind of mm, that's true. Like, you can almost imagine yourself just being there, like, especially on an Irish train, you know? Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we'd all be doomed because that train wouldn't arrived on time. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> wouldn't have been out of the station at the start. It'd be just a short movie where you run to the train station. Get anyone dies. <laughs> the train shows up an hour late. <laughs> Done. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Game over. <laughs> train to Dunleary. <laughs> um, but um, like uh, when I was saying to like the way people are becoming more um, uh, like uh, appreciative of foreign language movies. So mm. do you have one eye on those markets that maybe you'll expand? Like where you're this. No, the submissions, the acceptance of those submissions. Will you expand those? You think going in the future? Because like obviously, the more and more they become interested, the more and more you have a market or a viewer base for those markets. That like, do you think you'll see that expand over time? That maybe you'll accept more movies uh, from those markets, or just more movies in general, so you can keep the kind of Irish quote up or whatever. Yeah, uh, definitely. We, we we do plan to uh, to advertise and promote more in those markets because we were seeing that every year. Like the last four years in particular, 
we have been seeing more and more increases in um, Asia and the Middle East, and um, we get a, we get our steady flow of our Irish filmmakers every year. We get our steady flow of um, UK and um, a good few mainland kind of EU territories and stuff like that. So it, uh, the Asian and Middle Eastern areas is something that we would um, we have seen increases in. And we will aim to try and promote in those areas a bit more to try and increase that as well because we we think there's a lot of um, excellent quality work in those air in those regions and we'll be more than happy to um, accept and consider their work and um, showcase them. And do you think it's because like especially somewhere like the Middle East that you know where um, a film industry is probably quite like it has a long history there but because of the uh, troubles and tribulations in that area particularly in the world over the past 20 or 30 years and now that maybe things are starting to quieten down in certain areas that you might see a resurgence or like a rebirth of the film industry over there and you might see a lot more kind of like new filmmakers trying their hands and maybe that's why you see like an increase of interest from there because there's a a rebirth or a kind of renaissance over there in terms of their film industry after the the political un, unstableness or whatever that happened over the past 30 years or so? Yeah, there, there has been a bit. Um, I've, like we had films coming in from um, Iran and Iraq and uh, Israel. So it was kind of an interesting mix. And uh, as you know, interesting history from all three there <laughs> um, off the top of my head. Uh, <laughs> they're the ones that came in from the Middle East off the top of my head now. And... Um, yeah, like we we, we see um, kind of um, primarily they're usually documentaries, yeah. um, focusing on the struggles and and uh, the different um, political climates and so forth. Uh, but some dramas are starting to creep a bit more in, uh, and some of them are a bit um, uh, quite inspirational in the sense of um, you know trying to uh, um, show. Um, the more positivity side uh, of these people in their lives and living in these regions. So it's, it's uh, very nice and uh, nice to see that. Yeah, uh, yeah, because like, because one thing you often see, like, where if there's political uprisings or whatever, that literally, like, sometimes the arts often suffer. And then usually, mm-hmm. when there's kind of like afterwards, when things kind of start to uh, stabilize a bit more, that you often see uh, an absolute flourishment of art because they've all these stories to tell from all the, especially after something like World War Two, or during World War Two or something, there was like a Hollywood uh, tends to a lot of it was kind of propaganda based. Yeah. And after that, we had like another golden age in movies because everybody had all these stories to tell from the war and the uh, the struggles that happened, and maybe that's kind of sometimes you have the kind of the trials and tribulations and then art suffers for a while but sometimes afterwards it often flourishes and maybe that's what might happen in places like the middle east after what they've gone through you know oh yeah definitely yeah like you can see the some elements uh, popping up here here there and everywhere you know and um yeah it's it's it, it's gradual very gradual but it's starting to pop back up um i we were surprised to see the, the amount of uh, submissions coming from that region in, in particular. So um, it's obviously uh, on, on the up. Yeah, that's cool. And um, like, is there often uh, a lot of American content? Because th- if there's any like uh, a country in the world that's, you know, goes hand in hand with the filmmaking business is America. And like, and they, a lot of these 
kids over in America have gone to high level film schools and stuff and you might yeah. have better budgets or the better understanding of filmmaking and do you see a lot of um uh, submissions coming from North America and that side of work? I know oh, you said originally Big time. I can. I don't have all the statistics in front of me right now, but I can tell you off the, off the top of my head is outside, apart from Ireland, uh, USA is uh, number two or joint second with the UK when it comes to overall submissions, and then it's Canada, and then it's um, and mainland Europe. After that, you know. So yeah, we get we get many many from the United States and various different parts, um, east and west coasts. <coughs> um, we screened a good few of them this year, you know, and um, primarily live action, but we've uh, had a good chunk of excellent uh, animations over the years from, from um, primarily uh, a lot from graduates from big universities, you know, in Los Angeles and, and Miami and uh, New York. Like student you mentioned earlier on, the girl, the, she it was her. Uh, she, she went to college in America. She was an uh, Asian girl that did. Uh, she was from Japan. I believe she's from Tokyo, and yeah. um, and she was studying in America, and that was her um, final year thesis piece, uh, final defamation. And it looks like something of Pixar, like you know, excellent quality. Do you think that's one of the, the benefits the kind of the American students have that like you, you get that kind of level of filmmaking or you get the opportunity to do that kind of level of filmmaking at such a young age? And that's why the reason where you have so many like uh, like top level filmmakers coming from America, because like over here, it, like a lot of the smaller stuff is independent and like mm -hmm. it'd be very hard to get the similar budget that like a, like a college graduate got. Like, you know, for as you said, like Fine Detonation, it looked exactly like a Pixar short that would throw on before a Toy Story movie or something. It was that kind of high level of quality. Do you think they kind of have that little bit of an advantage over there ahead of other regions in the world? Uh, I, I think a little bit. In, in some parts, um, like if you're in one of these universities, they obviously have a lot of money, you know, and um, and they, you know, they, they pay a lot of, they pay a lot of high fees in America, as, as I'm sure you're aware, like, you know, so, yeah. um, and there, there, there are several colleges in, in, in our side of the ponds that yeah. also have a lot of big money, you know, um, like the National Film School in Donary, for example, um, some great uh, art colleges in, in London and, you know, but yeah, you know, obviously the bigger ones in general and they would have um, more resources, more funding and therefore you're going to see these bigger production value student films or, or debut films. And um, do you think like as you uh, something you touched on there was that a lot of these Irish kind of colleges are starting to get bigger budgets or to have more money to them now? Do you think we'll see an uptick in Irish filmmakers over the next five to ten years? I think so. Yeah, like there's like get getting funding is is very tough, but it, there has been some um, areas of improvements for filmmakers, and there has been an increase in some uh, capacity to get funding. It, it still could do it more, and it always can. More encouragement and more programs to encourage um, uh, emerging talent and inspiring talent. Um, but the grant system is it's, a, it's a, I tell you what, like I, I started in 2002 and it's a lot better, you know, so yeah, it, there has been major increases, but there are, is definite room for improvement as well. And, and probably being on the back of like, uh, you, as you touched on earlier was the economic downturn 
in the past mm-hmm. decade or and then you have the pandemic so the, it's any kind of progress do you think there would be progress lost now going forward because of the global situation at the moment um i think there has been a bit of a dip but there are it will bounce back you know either way and i I've, we've already witnessed a bit of a bounce back like in in 2020 uh for example we still had a great amount of submissions but we were down and now this year it bounced right back up you know to pre-covid levels you know so there's just a lot of determination out there uh, as well and that that's one of the keys you know you have a lot of determined young uh, filmmakers and artists that um, that are just want to get out there again and start making stories and making movies. And and like uh, people now, they're so used to making content in their own home for social media, for Instagram, for YouTube, whatever. More and more now you'll see people you think are going to be more comfortable behind the camera as well as in front of the camera going forward. Well, there's there's definitely evidence of that with, with films we've gone in. And, you know, it's it's made people think outside the box of it, you know. Yeah. So and gave them a bit, you know, you know, if you're going to be in lockdown or in a situation that's out of your control, you're, you might, and you're bored, you're, you might start thinking, oh, maybe I can do this or that, and I'll try something out or I'll try something new. As I mentioned earlier, some filmmakers decided to focus on animation, but you know, for most of their career or up to now has been live action. But then they go, oh, okay, I'll give animation a go, and I'll focus on that for a while, and you know. That's something you can do at home, technically, if yeah. you have the skills and the talent to do it. You can, you know, research and you can use the programs and all the software and spend a, a, a lot of time. But it's something you can do with your computer system or yeah. whatever. And you don't have to go out and, and uh, find actors. And, you know, you can uh, get voice actors and do recording or whatever. Like, you know, so it, but that's one uh, area that seemed to be, we saw an increase in. Yeah, I noticed that too after the when the pandemic and the lockdown started coming in last year that most of the, the first shows that got renewed for new seasons were all animated shows. Mm-hmm. Because like, you know, you see this straight away. It was like Bob's Burgers, American uh, Dad, you know, Family Guy, Simpsons. All these shows got renewed and oftentimes for two or three seasons immediately right after that period of time. Because as you said, when you have an animated show, you can have your team of animators working from home. You can have you can set up home recording studios for all your actors, and you can just like knock it all out together, and not, you can kind of cobble it together afterwards. And that's one of the benefits of animation because like even if like a big production studio like uh, any of the Pixar movies, a lot of the actors record separately from each other anyway. Like they don't see mm-hmm. each other during the process because of their scheduling or whatever. So animation does kind of give you that kind of freedom to operate within a very insular kind of environment, you know? Definitely, yeah. And it's something you can keep chipping away at and experiment with and get creative with if you have the, the knowledge to do it. And, uh, you know, the last two years was one of the best times to really uh, dig into it. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, do you think uh, you'll see more and more animated uh, kind of submissions going into the future? I, I, I think so, and I hope so. You know, it's always great to see that genre coming in, and then, you know, we we, we know how difficult and then how time-consuming a project like that can be, and to, to see such great quality and excellent work coming in, um, we're more than welcome, and we love seeing it coming in. So, yeah, I think so. Uh, um, we're pretty confident that this trend will, will continue for another little while anyway. And um, more and more, 
uh, hopefully eventually come through our doors. And uh, one, one thing I, um, uh, I really enjoyed was the, the couple of movies we kind of talked a little bit about earlier about the Irish folklore. It's something that's always fascinated me since I was a kid. And um, mm-hmm. on Mero and Mark of the Banshee. And do you often see, uh, and because it's an Irish-based film festival, do you often see more uh, Irish folklore kind of tales and things like that that maybe don't kind of make the greater, and not actually name any movies, but do you kind of often see that kind of bent or that kind of like subgenre come up more in, in the kind of film pro- uh, submission process? It seems to be sneaking in a, a little bit more in the past, I would say, four to five years. During the early years, not so much. Yeah. But in the past four to five years, it seems to be an, uh, an area that uh, people have been looking into uh, the, the folklore, the kind of horrors. We saw stories in the past of the, uh, but this year, Banshee, but we saw several Banshees over the years, you know, some based in Ireland, some based in some other part of the world or whatever, or that or something of that nature, you know? Um, so it seems to be enough, uh, that sort of um, genre dish, and uh, the can be very well done and fun and entertaining to yeah. see. And um, do you think that might be because of the kind of slow kind of like resurgence of the Irish uh, horror scene? When you have like a hole in the ground, Lee Cronin is going on to direct the, the New Evil Dead, and you, you see like an Irish filmmaker that kind of makes you know, you can it shows you that you can make a movie at home, mm-hmm. focus on your own lore, your own mythos, and you can look at like a banshee, or you can look at like a changeling, which was the focus in um, uh, the hole in the ground, and you can really focus and make like Irish stories in Ireland, yeah. and it, it will lead, it can lead to these big opportunities in American places. Possibly, like I can't speak for like other um, festivals and other outlets that that do get films in, but um, in our experience, we we feel that uh, when it comes to Irish films, we primarily the genres would be kind of drama and comedy seem to be some of the more uh, also you know the main favorites, so to speak. But um, in recent years, I, I think the filmmakers are starting to get a bit more looking into different stories and, and um, the horror genre, the Irish horror genre seems to be gradually picking up each year yeah. uh, and with folklore stories seems to be coming in more and more like definitely I, I see a bit of a trend at the moment and I, I think it might continue. Yeah, I think it's because like one thing is like we spoke earlier on about was uh sometimes genre saturation can be a bad thing and it's like one thing that's not really explored that much in comparison to other kind of uh folklores around the world is the irish folklore scene like because mm-hmm. we do have a much richer history outside of even just the banshees or the changelings and stuff and i think maybe you might see more and more people exploring the, the irish mythologies and you might actually see an increase probably coming up over the next few years especially when you have mainstream success like what Lee, Lee Cronin had with Hole in the Ground? Oh, hopefully so. Like, there are some great stories out there that haven't really been fully tapped into or haven't been tapped into in a very long time. Yeah. So uh, we'd love to see more of that sort of uh, uh, storytelling. And um, Stephen, before I let you out here, um, do, you, when, do you have any more festivals on the horizon? or And um, can you kind of give people a shout out for like what uh, the windows are for submissions? And like um, when they can send their uh, send their movies in or whatever, or what different categories that you're you're aiming to accept submissions in? Yeah, well, well I am. Uh, I also do work for the Dublin Arabic Film Festival as well, so I'm kind of 
uh, digging into getting that program together. It's not a competition this year or anything like that. It's more of a showcasing of Arabic movies uh, on a on an online platform similar to the one that Worcester did uh, this year. And uh, we 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 were planning on doing some live screenings, but we had to just with the way things are going again. Unfortunately, we decided to focus on an online thing that would run uh, between the eighth and the twelfth of December. And so to be a and a, a mix of feature films, feature documentaries, and a collection of short stories from the Arabic world. So we're kind of looking forward to putting that program out there. When getting back to the Waterford Film Festival and. We will be opening up again for the submissions roughly around April. Um, we're a bit too early to give out too much details, but April yeah. is usually the time period for submissions. We're going to have all three uh, competitions again, uh, including our new uh, photography one. So, um, yeah, uh, we're looking forward to the uh, next year and getting up and running and hopefully we will definitely well hopefully we will have uh, some uh, live screens I won't say definitely but that's the aim <laughs> yeah, physical screens and get yeah, the filmmakers back down to Waterford you know <laughs> and the landscape is, is always shifting so like I'd say you're just like before you're probably like I can easily plan 12 months ahead now you're like I'm going to plan it like 3 months in advance or so that's it. It's going to be advertised as an and or situation for me for an That's all we can do. That's all we can like, do. Yeah, is... Change the W more for the fingers crossed. Exactly. Um, so um, hopefully we can come back and cover yeah again next year I'm trying to get you on record saying we can <laughs> that'd be great yeah, yeah. No, no, love to be a part of it again and uh, thank you for having me it's been a, a nice experience uh, awesome it was uh, uh, fun having you here and it was uh, great to hear like what it's like the ins and outs of the whole process because like for anybody out there that love to get in on the festival scene whether that be a filmmaker or even a festival host themselves or an organiser like yourself that this kind of information is invaluable to them like you know and it's great to see the Irish film scene really healthy again after such a troubled times you know and it's like people like you and the festival that you put together is like it's really really important for the Irish film scene and the international film scene because you give people a chance especially first time filmmakers as well as award fil uh, award winning filmmakers a chance That's to That's what we're about big time is, is how and encouraging uh, new and emerging talent every time so it's not just about the award-winning ones we try and balance it out with uh, uh, debut filmmakers and student filmmakers as well and, and uh, hopefully uh, encourage them to uh, keep on trucking and making uh, making movies uh, that's awesome thanks Stephen so um, I'm going to let thanks you go so Stephen and, and um, so uh, alright folks this was MDK Presents the Waterford Film Fest with Stephen Byrne I'm your host Vincent Green Noel John Nowhere to be seen because he's useless. He's an awful person. <laughs> but Karen Max in the back, and we'll be back next time. Thanks so much, Stephen, for your time, and thanks for letting Thank us you. over your, your festival. It was an awesome experience, and I'll see you next time. Thanks very much. See you again soon.